Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends in business initiatives that help your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for the legal, insurance, and law enforcement industries. The Legal Toolkit is brought to you by Catuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, a New England-based business serving the legal community nationwide since 1966. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Dean Whalen, General Counsel for Catuno Court Reporting and Stentel Transcription Services. In our last show, we looked at Mass Data Breach Notification Law 201 CMR 17. We discussed the new regulation and that it affects just about every business, including attorneys, regarding secure customer client information. Now, compliance is due by March 1st, 2010. First thing we want to say to all you attorneys out there, especially for the ones who are just learning about this law now, is don't panic. Today, we're going to have the best information available today that you'll need in this podcast. Joining me today is Charlie Christensen, president of Paratus Security Partners, LLC, a company that specializes in information security compliance and most recently has established itself as a front runner in compliance solutions for the mass data breach notification law. Now, Paradis uses what he likes to call a holistic approach to information security, not only helps in the compliance process, but is focused on improving the overall security of the business. With his understanding of technology, Charlie has become a trusted partner in building compliance solutions. Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, Charlie Christensen. Thanks for that kind introduction, Dean. I look forward to our discussion today. Now, to recap, I think it's important to identify that the mass residents, you know, personal information is defined as a first initial or a first name with a last name in conjunction with any of the following information, a social security number, any financial account number, and any state-issued ID. Now, it's important that you keep this in mind, I think, during the discussion, because we're going to be discussing the risk, the process you need to, uh, to minimize that risk, and the remediation needs. Now, one of the most common uh, comments we hear from those looking to comply with this new regulation, Charlie, is, where do I begin? So, where does the process begin and what are the key elements of compliance in this process? Well, Dean, uh, you know, again, we get the same kind of questions uh, when we're doing seminars. And what we find is that um, our solution begins with the, a risk assessment. Um, you can't really mitigate a risk if you don't first know that it's there. Um, you know, a sound compliance strategy begins with identifying where the risks and vulnerabilities are. Um, we suggest that this be done through an objective third-party assessment. Um, why does it need to be a third party, in our opinion? Uh, primarily because it's like proofreading your own documentation. Uh, if you read that letter over and over and over again, you may not see um, the mistake that you made because you wrote it. You just read right over it. Same kind of thing can happen with information security. You know, you live it every day. You see your office every day. Things that we would see as a vulnerability are just part of the everyday op operation. You, would, you may not see that. And to miss something like that could be a 
big problem down the road uh, because that miss becomes the potential for a, you know, a costly fine. Um, by identifying, you know, risk, it allows us to make informed decisions about how to manage those risks down the road and determine whether or not it becomes an acceptable risk because not all risk can be mitigated or should be. You know, sometimes it's cost prohibitive. Sometimes it's not enough of a risk to, to warrant spending money on. Um, so that allows us to use a very even-handed approach as we develop your WISP and, and remediation. Um, Paradis has developed its risk assessment based on ISO 27001. Um, for the folks out there that may not understand ISOs, it's, it's an international standard. It's a set of standards for really anything you can think of. Uh, 27001 happens to be uh, an internationally recognized framework for the creation and management of information security programs. Uh, the new Massachusetts law, uh, the cornerstone of that law, is the information security program. They want us to have those policies, procedures, and controls that protect this information written down and enforced within the business environment. Um, upon completion of the risk assessment, we use that as your compliance roadmap because of the regular, you know, the, the recommendations, the comments, the findings that we have in there um, will guide us in the controls that need to be put in place to protect that data. So once that assessment's done, uh, it, it must, obviously it must be critical um, for the business in practical terms to identify where the regulated data exists. That information that you have to protect, where is it? Who touches it? How do I protect it? Is that correct, Charlie? Yeah, that's um, that's a very important piece. Um, I think that brings us to the discussion about the what the state refers to as a WISP, a written information security program. Do all um, businesses need this? Yeah, any anybody attempting to comply with the regulation is going to have to have their policies, procedures, controls, objectives. Um, formalized in a written format. Um, to to simplify, you know, what the WISP is, think of it like an employee handbook as it's used right. in HR. The WISP is going to be used in a similar manner to control your information security within your enterprise. I understand. So, Charlie, it looks like there's a, uh, many different disciplines uh, that need to be represented uh, during the compliance process. And could you could you touch on that? Sure. Um, you know, again, in our opinion, what, what we've identified is three key perspectives to developing a well-rounded strategy for compliance. Um, the first is the information security perspective, um, where we're focused on uh, applying a standard to the policies, procedures, and controls um, that need to be put into the, the written information security program, and also using those same standards to determine uh, through the risk assessment where these risks and vulnerabilities are. Um, by using and understanding how um, these standards relate to the regulation, it allows us uh, the ability to uh, not only identify the risk, but also very predictably 
um, come up with some remediation uh, methods for you. Uh, the second perspective would be that of the information technology remediation that, you know, is commonly referred to the computer guy. Um, they have a very important seat at the table. They're not necessarily suited to um, write the policy in, in, in these programs, but they certainly are equipped to help you with the technological controls, such as firewalls, um, access control through maybe a server, uh, maybe the implementation of a centralized uh, anti-malware, antivirus type application, um, you know, help you manage encryption down the road. You know, apply those technical pieces to the policies that you've set to enforce the policies you've set in the WISP. Um, the third perspective would be that of the legal community, um, which represents a very important seat at the table. Um, although, you know, it may not represent that the technical or, or the information security piece, but you folks are best suited to deal with legal risk. Um, you know, helping companies um, insulate themselves from the liabilities that are generated by this regulation. In the information security realm, we make no attempt to uh, pass legal judgment on anything. It's uh, it's left to to the attorneys to deal with. Um, and we routinely work with the triad to come out with the best result for the client. You know, Charlie, it sounds like there's a lot to consider. And, you know, we've been speaking primarily on the technological side. Um, but what everybody should know um, and what is very clear the way this law is written, that it's imperative we point out that it applies equally to paper, you know, and physically securing these assets and personal information. Uh, could you touch on those key components of the law? Sure. Uh, paper's a big thing. It's, um, it's, it can be one of the harder things to, uh, to mitigate away because it frequently deals with a lot of volume. Um, first thing we tell people is if you don't need it, don't keep it. Um, and if you do keep it and you can sanitize it in the file itself, you know, you're better off because paper does re represent a significant risk. First thing you need to do is identify where is the paper? Where do you have it? Who touches it? Um, you need to control access to the regulated information and ensure that those that do touch it need to. You know, if they don't need to see it, then they shouldn't have access to it. Um, you know, think about where it is in transit. You know, is it sitting on someone's desk out at the reception area where just anybody walking by can see it? Um, you know, people in the medical industry have had to deal with this for years with HIPAA. You know, you need to keep that information out of the public's eye um, and away from environments where it can just be picked up and walked off with. Right. So there's, well, there's paper and then there's also the electronic piece too. Uh, we, we electronically uh, store paper, et cetera. Um, Absolutely. Is that an important piece? Certainly. Uh, you know, electronically, there's, there's a lot to uh, consider. You know, one of the things that happens most frequently is we, we deal so much with email today. Uh, you know, how do we protect these documents that are, are usually an attachment uh, is just a regular Word file that could certainly have this information in them. Um, there's a really easy way to control that and implement some encryption. You know, for those uh, people out there that don't understand encryption, it's real simple. You know, take a file as we're used to seeing it in, say, Microsoft Word. 
run it through an encryption algorithm, which turns it into gobbledygook so that as it's transmitted, anybody who intercepts it can't read it. And then on the other end, through various means, usually some kind of a key, um, you unlock that file and it puts it back into its original form, which can only be read by the recipient. Um, it's a very important piece of the regulation. Uh, it is a piece of the regulation that people frequently get caught on, um, especially in the seminars. They like to talk about it as the encryption law. Um, as you see here, it's, it's far more than that. Um, but the encryption piece is something that's important. Um, it ranges from, you know, free tools that are okay, but you get what you pay for. And it ranges up to, you know, enterprise-wide centralized managed systems that, you know, can do a lot of things automatically. Um, and depending on the size and scope of your enterprise, uh, there's certainly something there for you. Now, when you say can do it automatically, uh, I see Zix Corp. Uh, I'm somewhat familiar with that. And uh, it can actually be programmed to identify the exact uh, information that's uh, in the Massachusetts data breach law, such as a name, first name, last name, with one of those other key components that would determine it to be private information. And then when you go to send that email, uh, that particular email would become encrypted because of the information in it. It wouldn't encrypt every email. Is that your understanding of how it works? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a variety of solutions, and I know Zix has the whole spectrum covered. Um, you know, what you're referring to there is an appliance that usually sits on your network and filters traffic looking for the information as it's identified in the, you know, in your configuration and will automatically encrypt it on its way out. Um, it's a great way for somebody with a more medium environment to kind of, you know, set it up and, and kind of forget about it, you know, not have to worry about it on a day-to-day -day basis. Smaller enterprises, smaller offices could use something from Zix where, um, you know, they have a product where you would encrypt the file and send it, or you would send the file through the Zix site, and then the Zix site encrypts it, sends an email to the end user that just says, you have email at our site, come get it. And then that's how they, you know, they, they control who's actually reading the file. But they have that whole spectrum covered quite nicely. It's, uh, they have some good products. Okay, so I'm an attorney sitting in my office. In practical terms, uh, summarize what I need to do, Charlie. Well, you know, first thing is don't panic. Um, you know, a lot of people read this for the first time and, and, and kind of look at it all at once rather than in, in manageable pieces. But the first thing you need to do is identify your risk. Um, you know, we, we suggest having a, a, an objective, qualified third party look at the, um, your systems through an assessment. Uh, and then once you've identified the risks and understand those risks, um, engage somebody who understands how to put these information security programs together. Um, you know, the kind of things you should look for uh, in that area would be somebody who's got uh, designation as a CISA, Certified Information Systems Auditor, or perhaps a CISSP, which I believe is a Certified Information Security Systems Specialist or Professional. Um, these guys are essentially like a, a CPA doing your tax return. Uh, it looks sure. a whole lot better if you ever get challenged on it. Um, but once you get the WISP done, then you bring in 
the necessary remediation pieces um, to support the policies and procedures that you put in place. Um, and then once the remediation's underway, you certainly should engage uh, an attorney to look at what you have uh, have developed as a program to make sure that you haven't left yourself vulnerable anywhere. So with a March 1st deadline, uh, still uh, what may be may appear to be plenty of time, but uh, the, it the really listeners... isn't. Being, uh, if you know, if people are going to get going on this, they need to get going soon because there's only so many people who are really qualified to help them in the process. And when virtually every business in the state has to comply, and only a small percentage have already done it, um, you know, we need the to phones get people will be ringing moving. February 28th. Yeah. <laughs> well, then they may see their compliance package by May. Right, right. Um, but, you know, starting in December is a very prudent thing to do. It's better to do this without having to rush through it. It's much easier right. on you. Okay, Charlie, certainly a lot to consider, a lot of ground to cover for our listeners. At this time, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day and, and joining us. Uh, maybe you can tell us where our listeners can go online to get more information. Well, we'd be happy to entertain you at our website. It's uh, www com. That's www.paritussecurity.com. Uh, or you can always give our offices a call at 413-224-1237. Once again, that's 413-224-1237. Thanks for having us, Dean. Thank you, Charlie. And as you heard from Charlie, don't panic, but it's about time to start looking into this law and get what you need to get done. We need to take a short break. When we return, Jared Correa of the Law Office Management Assistant Program will join us. Thank you very much, Charlie. You're welcome. Katuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription have been providing innovative dictation and transcription services since 1966. Our patented technologies and compliance solutions continue to set the standard for the legal community. Find out more about how we can create your legal toolkit at katuno.cc. That's C-A-T-U-O-G-N-O dot C-C. Or call 888-228-8646. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Welcome back to the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. Now joining me is Attorney Jared Correa, advisor at the Law Office Management Assistant Program, which provides free and confidential consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. Thanks for taking the time today, Jared, and welcome to the Legal Toolkit. Oh, my pleasure, Dean. Thanks for having me. Love the intro music. Jared, when, when some attorneys hear about what's involved for compliance, they may get nervous. What would you say to them? Well, for attorneys who get nervous, I think the uh, main thing I would say, and I think you're right on in your introduction, is this. Don't panic. Everyone just remain calm. Very simply, I think, you need to step back. You need to take stock of your business, your law practice, and think about the information that you keep. How much information do you have? Is it protected information as defined by the statute? If you only have a few documents to protect, you can use simple encryption tools built into Microsoft Word and Adobe Acrobat to comply. 
If you have several documents or more than a few documents, you can use TrueCrypt, for example, to create encrypted containers on your computer. Another question you can ask yourself is how do you protect your systems? If you have a firewall and if you apply some sort of malware protection on your computers already, well, in that case, you're already complying with the regulations, at least in part. And you have to know how much of this you can do on your own, how much of it you're willing to handle. You have to determine when and how to bring in IT professionals. In the end, it'll be just like any other business process that you develop and implement. And like all business processes, it has to be streamlined and efficient in order to be effective. And remember, the new regulations provide you a little bit of wiggle room, as WISP now should be consistent with and reasonable in the light of the facts of your business and what your business does. Jared, what, now, LOMAP, um, could you tell us a little bit about that, your particular organization? And I know you've been going across the state uh, doing some things to try and help attorneys become aware of this new oh, law. Absolutely. We've been doing some uh, education. I'll tell you a little about LOMAP first. LOMAP stands for the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. We're a nonprofit organization and we're funded by attorneys' bar dues. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting to attorneys in the state. Now, the thesis behind our program is that the law schools teach aspiring lawyers the theory of the law. We come in and we teach them how to practice law. So we cover all of those various things that go into the management and administration of a law firm. And how do you view this law as it pertains to attorneys? Well, with respect to the data privacy law, we think it's critically important, obviously, that the state's attorneys and law firms become compliant with the regulations by the new effective date of March 1st. The regulations apply to all businesses and business persons, including law firms and lawyers, including small firm and solo attorneys. Now, penalties for noncompliance can be significant as well, both with respect to data privacy and appropriate data destruction. And I wanted to take a moment here as well to clear up a misconception. I've heard that some folks in Massachusetts are under the impression that the state's attorneys are exempt from the data privacy laws. That's just not the case. The confusion arises, I believe, from an October 29, 2009 ruling by the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, which held that the FTC's red flag rules did not apply to attorneys. Now, a May 1 amendment to the FTC's red flag rules required creditors to produce a document much like the Massachusetts WISP and to monitor their compliance thereby. The ABA and the AMA, so lawyers and doctors, essentially, have disagreed and argued that they should not be defined as creditors, and so they should not be required to produce a WISP for compliance. The D.C. Circuit judge agreed. The FTC, though, plans to appeal that decision. And since that decision was made, the applications of the red flag rules have been pushed back to June 1. However, for Massachusetts attorneys, this is immaterial. Now, while it's true that portions of the mass regulations are based on parts of the FTC's red flag rules, Massachusetts doesn't seek the compliance of creditors as attorneys, which was the issue in the federal courts, and the Massachusetts laws remain scheduled to become effective for March 1. Now, attorneys in Massachusetts had attempted previously to argue that the state's regulations should not apply to them because the attorney-client privilege protects their client communications, but the new FAQs put out by the Office of uh, Consumer Affairs and Business Regulation flatly reject this as an exception to compliance. Interesting. So the bottom line is, March 1st, all businesses, including attorneys, need to protect this information. Absolutely and unequivocally, yeah. So between now and then, are there any events, uh, any any type of educational seminars, et cetera, that people can, can get to to understand this better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As I said, we've, um, we've been attempting to educate attorneys throughout the state. 
There's a number of resources available, and uh, particularly one event I want to highlight is Wednesday, uh, January 27, 2010. The Massachusetts Information Security Summit is going to be held in Springfield. Now, this is your best bet to get the most information at one time, which is ultimately going to be the best use of your time. We're going to have legal, government, and IT compliance specialists there like Charlie and myself. We'll talk all aspects of Massachusetts data privacy compliance, and the best part is that the program is free for all the participants, for all the day-long program sessions. Now, even if your business isn't located in Massachusetts, this is still valuable information. Remember that this is a long-arm statute. Out-of-state companies who do not protect Massachusetts residents' client information and experience breach can be prosecuted under the law. Now, there's two ways to register for this conference. You can go to the official conference site, which is www.massiss.org. That's M-A-S-S-I-S-S dot org. Or you can go to the Massachusetts Bar Association's website at www.massbar.org. Find the program on their CLE calendar and register for the link there. The program is, again, entirely free, and it's an excellent value if you can get out there. Sounds like a plan. Anything else, Jared, from a from an attorney's perspective that we should cover on this law? I'll tell you that I think in, in the time allotted we have here, um, we've done a pretty serviceable job covering some of the important issues. There's one thing I would add, though. I think for attorneys and businesses in general, there's six questions that they have to analyze that the law is asking them to look at. Number one is, what information do you keep? Number two is, are you careful about how you keep, send, and transport data? Number three is, have you created a WISP? Number four is, do you limit access to your data? Number five is, do you oversee your employees and third-party providers? And number six is, when you're done with your data, how do you expose of it? Uh, dispose of it, rather. Now, listeners with more questions should attend the Information Security Summit and or contact us here at LOMAP, and we can help them out. How do they contact you, Jared? Well, they can find our contact information, which is available at our website, which is masslomap.org. They can also check out our blog specifically, uh, which is at masslomap.blogspot.com, or if you punch LOMAP blog into Google, we're the top entry. You can also follow us on Twitter.com, both Rodney Dowell, the LOMAP director, and myself. I'm at Twitter at Twitter.com slash Jared Correa, and that's J-A-R-E-D-C-O-R-R-E-I-A. Twitter direct message, email message, phone call, we'll get any and all of them, and uh, we look forward to helping attorneys comply. Jared, thank you so much for taking the time, and that about does it for this edition to the Legal Toolkit. Remember, you can check out all of our shows at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Again, I'm Dean Whalen of Katuno Court Reporting and Stentel Transcription. For more information about compliance and how our legal toolkit can help you, call us at 888-228-8646. We'll see you next time on The Legal Toolkit. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit, brought to you by Katuno Court Reporting and Stantel Transcription, right here on The Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. 
Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.